Well, Merry Christmas. <laughs> Today is your annual reminder that Christmas doesn't end on December 25th, but does continue. And so we have 10 more days to wish each other a Merry Christmas and to continue celebrating the birth of Christ. But still, I do think that the Sunday after Christmas has got to be one of the strangest ones each year. And I think part of that is because we've been so intentional for the past four weeks. Just think about it. We have come into this space for the past four weeks and we have lit a candle each week. We've had a special liturgy that we've read each week reminding us that the gifts of the incarnation Jesus brought were hope, peace, joy, and love. We have special signs and symbols in this space for this specific season. We have our tree up with the chrismons. We have the manger on the altar, Mary and Joseph and Jesus. We have beautiful wreaths with flowers. We have signs that remind us that something different is happening during this season. We have Advent and Christmas music that we only sing this time of year. All of these things are preparing us for Christmas Eve when we gather together for a service that typically looks the same each year. And even though it was different this year with a small service inside and two services outside, we really did the same things. We read the Christmas story, we sang Christmas songs, we received Holy Communion and took the light of Christ out into the world, back to our homes. We are so, so intentional leading up into Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. So I think it's only natural that when Christmas is over, our minds and our bodies and the world kind of says, okay, well, let's move on to the next thing. And you start to feel the dread of having to put everything away, everything that we've gotten out. The radio stations change, they're not playing that anymore. The movies are no longer Christmas movies. There are signs and symbols reminding us that this season was wonderful, but it is coming to a close. But I wonder, what if instead of moving on, if there was a way that we could hold on to that special feeling, the spirit of Christmas, that we all experience around that time of year. When we gather and we remember the miraculous birth of Jesus and all that led up to it, what would happen if we continued to posture ourselves in a way that we were anticipating and expecting that God is going to move in our lives and in our world? In Luke's gospel, the spirit of Christmas not only lingers, but it grows stronger as people begin to understand what Christmas means. Elizabeth and Jennifer's song that they just sang was so perfect to me. It, ex it exactly explains that Christmas is when it begins, not when it ends. It's when we begin to live out what Jesus came to teach us and to give to others those gifts that we have so generously been given. The Christmas story is one of ordinary people opening themselves up and being willing to let God move through them in faithful living. So today I want us to consider two questions. And the first is how do we live faithful, spirit-filled lives even after Christmas? How can we hold on to that, the Christmas spirit? And the second is how can we continue living intentionally and with anticipation and expectation of God's movement in the world. And so to kind of look at what those two answers might be for us, we're going to look at some case studies from Luke chapter 2. 
We have Mary, Joseph, Simeon, and Anna. So I'm going to read the gospel in three different chunks this morning, but it's printed in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. And we will begin with Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 24. But before that, I want to remind us of what happened in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 is when Mary and Joseph are greeted by the angel and told that they are going to bear this holy child named Jesus. And so throughout Advent, we read about this in Mary and Joseph's obedience to this call. And so when an angel comes and tells Mary this outlandish thing that she, a virgin, will give birth to a baby who will be called the Son of God, the Son of the Most High, who will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of whose kingdom there will be no end, Mary's response is simple and clear. Let it be with me according to your word. And then Luke 2, before the passage we're about to read, is what we read together on Christmas Eve. The birth of Jesus with the spectacular host of heavenly angels that have come, singing glory be to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. So right after this huge moment of adoration and praise, Luke brings us back to reality. Maybe feels a little like the Sunday after Christmas when we're back to all right, so what happens after? What happens when the baby has been born? So that's where we pick up in Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 34. After eight days had passed, it was time to circumcise the child, and he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Did you notice the recurring phrase, according to the law of the Lord? It said that several times throughout these few verses. And again, Luke is trying to get us, the readers and the hearers, to understand that Mary and Joseph are doing everything they're supposed to do according to the law as an act of obedience to God. And so the spotlight of this passage is on their faithful obedience after the child has been born. So beginning with circumcision, we're told that they bring him to be circumcised on the eighth day. And this is important because it acknowledges that Jesus belongs to the same people as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whom God has chosen. Next, they name him Jesus, which may seem maybe not that important, but remember that the name Jesus means God saves. So when they name him Jesus, not only are they proclaiming that Jesus will be the one that saves the world, but they also listened to the angel who came to them and told them to name the baby Jesus. Again, an act of obedience and reminding everyone who hears his name that he has come from God. The purification of Mary. This is a ceremony and ritual that was necessary for Mary to be able to re-enter society. It's a ceremony that acknowledges that birth is messy and dangerous but in the sacrifice of two birds, pigeons or turtle doves, she is able to begin entering society once again now that she is clean. And again, that is what the law told her she must do. And the last is they dedicate the firstborn to God. 
So these people, they would dedicate their first children and recognizing that all good gifts, even children, especially children, come from God. So all of this background, while it might seem tedious or just like small details, it's actually really significant because it models for us that Mary and, Jesus, Mary and Joseph were intentional in doing everything they were supposed to do as an act of being faithful to God. They model for us how to be faithful to the, to the laws and the commandments that we have been given by God. And at the same time, they show us what can happen through normal, ordinary people when you open yourselves and are receptive to the call that God may have on your life. So the second case, story, case study this morning comes from the next verses in chapter 2, verses 25 through 35. And this is from a man named Simeon. So let us hear how he responds to the birth of Christ. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, this child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So let's picture this moment together. Mary and Joseph have arrived in the temple with an eight-day-old baby to do what they are told to do, and at the same time, this other man, Simeon, has also been guided by the Holy Spirit to come to the same temple on the same day and when he sees Jesus, he is overcome with joy and emotion, and he takes the baby from Mary and Joseph. Can you imagine what they must have thought when this man takes Jesus from their arms? Simeon is a man rich in years, and he had been filled with expectation of what God would do because the Holy Spirit had told him he would not die before he had seen the Messiah with his own eyes. And so by the grace of God and the provision of God, his hope is fulfilled this day in the temple. So Simeon, he takes the baby, and something stirs within him a song of joy. And Simeon declares that this baby will be the one that is a savior for all people. And he says, not just for the Israelites, for God's chosen people, but for Gentiles too. Jesus, Simeon knows that Jesus will be the savior of all people. In the presence of this long-awaited Messiah, is able to stir a joy in Simeon, even though Simeon declares that life will not always be easy for this baby or for Mary and Joseph. He proclaims the truth about what will happen in the life of Jesus. But the joy he feels when he sees the baby and knows that the promise of God has been fulfilled in him seeing the Messiah before death 
is enough for him to say, you can take me now. I'm able to go now because this promise has been fulfilled. So here again, we have an example of a man who was open and aware of the movement of God in his life. He was intentional and attentive to what God was doing and saying. I wonder how many days and years he had come to the temple, watching and waiting for the arrival of Christ. How long did he have to wonder whether or not this promise truly would be fulfilled? And we, you know, we don't know how long, we don't know how old he was, but we do know that when Jesus was born and Simeon saw him, he knew indeed that God is faithful. And he proclaimed with joy that Jesus is salvation and peace for all of humanity. The last person that shows us how we can live after the birth of Christ is the prophet Anna. So let us see how she responded that day in the temple in verses 36 through 38. There was a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At the moment she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. So like Simeon, Anna is a prophet, and she is a person of wisdom. We know that she is 84 years old and comes to the temple day in and day out to pray and fast and give glory to God. She has surely prophesied about the truth of God, and people likely knew who she was. She had a reputation for being someone who could proclaim the truth about God. So even though Luke doesn't tell us exactly what Anna says, her actions in praising God and in going to tell other people about this child confirms what we have seen to be true through the other people we've talked about this morning. So through Mary and Joseph, we see that God can use young, poor persons, even from a city like Nazareth, to do extraordinary work. Through Simeon, we see that God can use older people close to death to proclaim the good news that Christ has come to save not only people that we think God will save, but other people too, even Gentiles. And now through Anna, we see that God can use women of all ages to prophesy and encourage and praise and spread the good news of Christ and salvation. Young and old, rich and poor, men and women, Israelites and Gentiles, all can be saved through Christ. And surely this is good news for all of humanity. So again, we come back to this question, how can we continue living with anticipation and expectation of God's movement in the world? Well, we do this through intentional, faithful living. Sure, God can work through anyone, anytime, however God likes. But I do think that if you position yourselves, perhaps like Simeon and Anna did, coming to the temple seeking out God, perhaps you will be able to hear more clearly when God does speak to you. If you are purposely seeking out God and trying to live a faithful life, like Mary and Joseph, perhaps if God calls you to something that seems unbelievable, perhaps you will be more receptive to that 
and able to answer with faith as Mary and Joseph did. Christmas may be coming to an end in 10 days, but God is still moving and working to save the world. When we come together for worship, to read scripture, to sing songs of praise, to celebrate communion and to pray for one another, we are reminded of this special connection we have to God, the God who has been working for long before our time and will continue working long after our time to save and reconcile and redeem the world. But all of these things, these means of grace that we have, are ways that we can come together and to build up our faith as we live in obedience once all together. So as we close out this year and we look towards the next year, I want us to renew our covenant to live faithfully to God with John Wesley's covenant prayer. And it's printed for you in your bulletin underneath that gospel lesson. John Wesley adapted this prayer from the Puritan tradition that was so important to his parents, Samuel and Susanna, and to his community at Epworth. He expected the people called Methodists to pray this prayer each new year as a way of remembering and renewing their baptismal covenant. So in this prayer, we renew our promise to live as faithful members of Christ's church and to serve as his representatives in the world. This prayer is a rededication to live intentionally after the example of Christ as we anticipate what God is continuing to do in the world. And in this prayer, it is a promise to be obedient to the call that God has on our lives. So, O come, all ye faithful, let us pray together these words. I am no longer my own, but thine. Put me to what thou wilt, rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed by thee, or laid aside for thee exalted for thee or brought low for thee let me be full let me be empty let me have all things let me have nothing i freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal and now o glorious and blessed god father son and holy spirit thou art mine and i am thine so be it in the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. Well now, as God's faithful children, let us stand together and affirm what it is we believe with the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Well, thank you once again for being here as we continue to celebrate 
Christmas and the promise that the incarnation brings for all people. If you have any questions about the church, I know all of you are very faithful members, so I'm sure you know a lot more about the church than I do. But if you have any questions about anything, always feel free to reach out and we would be happy to talk to you about anything. And next Sunday, we will have our two services back to normal, our nine o'clock and 11 o'clock. And we are asking for reservations for those services. And we do hope that you will join us as we celebrate Epiphany next Sunday. Sorry, Leanne's pointing at something. On your way out this morning, Sterling will lead out the store and I'll lead out the store. And um, yeah, that's how it will go after the postlude. So receive now this benediction. Let us go from this time and this space to live faithful lives, pointing others towards Jesus who came to love and save all people. Go in peace. Amen. Amen.